as an industry, we made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Deandra Lasrado, lead narrative designer at Crystal Dynamics. So join us as we explore our journey. Of course, Dev Diary is funded by an amazing group of people at patreon.com slash devdiarypodcast. They help grow the show, make it bigger, make it more successful, and they've got early access to this episode. Consider checking it out yourself, and if you can't do that, perhaps consider throwing the show a five-star review or equivalent on your podcast service of choice. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the show. So today I'm joined by Deandra. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I have acclimatized to being here, and it's fantastic because it's just in time for me to leave. Yeah, we were just discussing before the show that uh, the 11 o'clock, you stayed up to 11 o'clock recently, and that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big deal when you're making big time zone jumps, so <laughs> congratulations on that, but it's a shame that's happened so late and you're out the, out the door again very soon. Yes. How's, how's the time been in Australia so far? Oh, it's been fantastic. Everybody here has been so lovely, and I've had such a good time just chatting with all different devs and fans and... It's just been very special. I, I think that this is probably one of the best conventions that I've been to That's in a awesome very to long time. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's the whole big thing from, from Melbourne International Games Week to GCAP to PAX, kind of the end of it. There's a range of different events that are kind of running in parallel as well. It's a really, really cool time, and it's, it's a thrill to have you here, and, and I'm you know, really humbled that you come on the show too, so thank you very much for giving me your time. No, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So this is Dev Diary Series. We talk to developers from around the globe. They talk about their, uh, they share their stories, their experiences, and the journey has led to this current point in time. But before we get to some incredible work that you've done in the industry, I wanted to, I guess, reflect on a time before all of that and talk about some early gaming experiences, I guess more through a consumerist lens. Oh. Do you recall what some of the first games were that you ever played, potentially even what the first game was that you ever played? Oh my goodness. I know Uh, that the first is sometimes stretching it, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I grew up a little uniquely in the fact that my uh, my parents didn't really let me have game systems, but my my best friend did, so I think the earliest that I remember is like Super Mario. Yeah, but that's an awesome starting point. It was a great starting point, and then uh, when I was able to buy my own system, which was a PS2, it was Final Fantasy X. And I was obsessed with Final Fantasy X. Actually, I lie. I managed to get a PS1, and I, I played the heck out of uh, Nine, Final Fantasy Nine, because it's the best one? Oh. <laughs> I did play six. I think six is my favorite. That's okay. I mean, look, they're all fantastic. Nine, yes. nine is categorically the best, but we'll move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I guess, how did your tastes evolve from there? Uh, I guess, uh, um, did the restrictions around what you could and couldn't play at home start to ease a little bit, and that provide more opportunities for you to explore different genres? franchises, platforms, etc. Well, again, once I was once I had my own money and again, I, that helps. like by on my own money, I mean I was like in my 20s. Yeah. Um I kind of felt like I didn't need the restrictions of family to tell me what media I could consume. That's fair. The the thing that I always went for was story because I worked in the library before I worked in games. Yeah, right, okay. And I love love story. Like that was my escape as a child. I was uh, I was at the library all the time. I checked out all the books. That's probably why they hired me when I was yeah, a young surprise. lady. <laughs> and yeah, anything that was story-based caught my attention because that was just a whole new world. And so I guess we've touched on a range of different experience there on, on, the, on the game side. And obviously a few of those you mentioned fairly narrative heavy. And then obviously working in the library and obviously 
story is a big component about most things in the library. So I guess how did all of this end up becoming a pathway into games? Was that something that was apparent to you for a while? Did it happen a bit later in the piece? How did we how did we get from all those experiences purely on that consumerist enjoyment side to becoming a professional thing? Oh man, it's so everybody has their own path into games. Like yes. I've worked with so many people of such diverse like previous job backgrounds, and I I love it. Uh, my path in was I actually didn't realize that I could do games as a job. I thought that I'd always work in a library. Uh, a little bit, it's I I met my partner. Yep. Uh, we had a glorious magical adventure uh, to the uh, Southwest Asia, <laughs> and. From there, we, we came back, and he found a job. He was in film uh, beforehand, but yeah, okay. he found a job in games, and, and we actually are both writers in games. And then when he got a job at the company Bioware, they were looking for an editor, but the thing that they needed most of all was uh, somebody that could do like documentation, technical editing, yep. yeah, technical editing, documentation, things like that, and like organizing data. That's absolutely librarian does. Yeah, that leans into some established strengths already, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I guess how did it, because you weren't actually part of the industry at that point, yes, it helps to obviously have a connection that's there. Mm -hmm. How did it actually become a, a job at that point? Was it a, I'm applying and you're in? Was it a, hey, I've, I've got someone, let's bring them in? It was, it was an apply and also like, this is a specific thing you're looking for. I'm going to take it upon myself to try and talk to people respectfully, talk yep. to people as much as I can, just so that they understood like who I am, what I brought to the table, and again, just make a connection, right? And so, I guess joining Bioware at that particular point, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people arguing, you know, kind of peak Bioware is kind of this period, there's <laughs> often the phrase that kind of gets uttered at that time, because we're talking about Mass Effect, as it's approaching its peak, there's Dragon Age, there's, uh, the, you've still got Star Wars, The Old Republic, there's lots of different things going on under the, uh, between the four walls of, I guess, multiple studios of Bioware. Mm -hmm. What was that like to be joining a studio like that at that particular point in time, but it also being your first gig in the industry? Oh, it was, it was a trip, for sure. <laughs> like, I, I was a little overwhelmed, but the team that I was working on was much smaller. Yep. And so I was able to kind of, like, take baby steps. And everybody was, again, very nice and, and really... Um, helpful and uh, I thought that Bioware was a great learning experience like it yes it's this huge studio but they they aren't like a they aren't like a bungee or a blizzard or, yes. or anything like that they're not gargantuan the scope is still quite the, different the scope is very different so it still was something that I was kind of used to especially being on a small team so I could acclimate easier yep. and just learn the baseline of how a game is made because I love them I love them but I had no idea <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like even for myself, after 120 plus episodes of this show and having been so fortunate to speak to so many wonderful people like yourself and many others that come on the show, there's still this gigantic gulf of knowledge that I just don't think I ever have. Like, I feel like I've got more insight than the, the average consumer. <laughs> no offence to any average consumers out there. Thank you very much to the wonderful people at Audio Technic for providing us this space. There's an amazing crowd walking past at the moment. No offence to anyone out there, but it's still a whole other thing entirely. It is. And, and you honestly, you don't understand till you're, you're there. It. Yeah, you just don't understand till you're there, like all the moving pieces. And uh, the way I do it, I sometimes do a talk for uh, school kids, and I, I like to remind them that, like, if you're upset at a game, like, think about it this way everybody that I work with, we wake up and we dedicate our souls and our lives to bringing you joy. Like, we, we, we wake up and we think, how can I make people happy? And we try our best. And it's almost like film. Like, nobody sets out to make a bad film. Nobody sets out to make a bad game. Just 
circumstances happen. Different constraints, etc. Different cetera. constraints, yeah. And it's it's sad when something that you make does not resonate with other people, but you try your best every day and... And, and you try and learn from it. Yeah. You, you, you do better when you need to do better. And so was there a little bit of a, I guess, a a shock acclimatization and the like going on there when you first joined and again there's a lot of moving pieces a lot going on there how did you adapt at first it was so much it was i think it was a little bit easier just because library is government so i was used to you know hierarchy things coming down the pipeline and in weird places you know parasocial relationships (laughs) (laughs) and so you just make do yeah um from there and we we have limited time today so probably move through some of these different stages a bit faster than perhaps we might normally, yeah. uh, but from, from Bioware, Riot was an oh, opportunity yes. that, that emerged there. So I guess firstly, how did that, how did that jump occur? What, uh, where was everything like for you at that particular stage in terms of then making the jump to Riot? Oh my goodness. Another big studio, well known by a lot of people. Yep. Well, all my, all my games career has been highlighted by the connections that I've made and the yep. friends that I've made. So uh, when I was at Bioware, uh, I met a lovely woman named uh, Christina Norman. And uh, we, we moved away from Edmonton just because we did not like Edmonton. We loved Bioware uh, and came back to California because my partner actually got a job at Blizzard. Yep. And so when we moved down here, we'll we got married. Eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, moved down here, um, or down here, goodness, like I'm in the state still. You're welcome we moved to stay down. whenever you like. <laughs> moved down to California and I was looking around for a job and by the time I got my green card, Christina was like, hey, I joined Riot, I need an editor, and I know I can trust you because I worked with you at BioWare. Yep, absolutely. And so I guess, was there much that was different in terms of the way you went about the role there? Was I guess different places will always have their different stages. Oh, absolutely. How did you settle? Riot is just, again, Riot's a huge company. So seeing a game made on that scale was absolutely mind-blowing. Like, it it was definitely shock and awe and... You know, it was it was Riot Games back in 2012, so there was some some Riot Games this back in stories, 2012. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, but overall, like that that was definitely overwhelming. But again, the team that I was on was really small, and it helped me acclimate a little bit yep. easier because I could kind of stick with them and like kind of learn and watch the others do what they did. And carve and out your niche there. within that, that and, gigantic machine. Yes. And to be fair, like Christina was a huge support to me at that time. So I, I am very grateful to her. And uh, I guess as you've touched on, there's uh, networks that you've had along the way everywhere yes. that have really, really helped. And I guess it's awesome to have those sorts of people when at whatever stage that life journey absolutely, absolutely. They emerge. Um, from there, snail games, <laughs> Edit- editorial capacity as well. I guess lesser known to, yep. to most to most here, but what was that like? Again, was, I guess was there someone else in that instance that was a pathway in, or was that something a little more yeah. quote unquote natural? I suppose. Yeah, actually, there's a, a woman that had worked at Blizzard with my partner, and uh, that moved over to Snail, and she's like, "Hey, we're looking for an editor. You're an editor. Come join us." Uh, I actually met her at a, a game dev drink up. Okay, good. And so, yeah, that was that was kind of my in, and so I applied and. I got in, and, and I made some great other connections there too. No, that's that's fantastic, and I guess how did that lead? And this, I mean, we've spoken a lot about editing up to mm-hmm. this point, but the next step that I've got documented, assuming I haven't missed anything along the way, XC, still some editorial, but also a localization component as well. Yeah, well, uh, to be fair, Snail was also a localization component because that was a Chinese game that was being localized oh, yeah. yep. into uh, North America. 
So the localization editor at XSEED, I was like, I, I know how to do this. And also, again, working for a foreign company, there is a, an initial culture shock because they do do things differently. But uh, I, I say this in my GCAP talk, one of the greatest lessons that I learned for working for foreign companies is the concept of, is it bad or is it different? And, and being able to pass through that yes. can sometimes be a challenge too. Yes. It's, it's learning how to analyze and question, not question yourself, but like make sure that your idea of bad is correct. And yeah, and I guess depending on the environment and the structure that's around you, that, that can be very, very different in the eyes of some. So, 100%. Um, no, that's, that's really fascinating. I guess that localization component as well, I guess the, the sheer nature, oh, yeah. the nature of the job presents its own challenges as well. Oh. What is that like? Because I think over across, yeah, 120 plus episode, I've not, I don't think I've had anyone that's spoken about localization to this oh my point. God. So, so I'd love for, I guess, those listening who've never potentially been in that space to learn a little bit about it. Oh, localization is super fascinating. And uh, does it, they are unsung heroes. Like our localization teams do work. So it's story crafting on such a global scale where you have to take a story that makes sense in one locale that would potentially be nonsense in another locale, and you have to make it make sense in the same kind of way. So I know that back in the day, dubs got a lot of shade, yep. and I, I don't like that. Like the, the act of dubbing an anime and making sure that the English matches up and making sure that the story matches up, it's an art form. It is a huge art form, and, and it is very, it's it's very under uh, understood. Underappreciated too, because I think it's, it's certainly one of those things that you you see people talking about or hear people talking about localization, and yeah. and most people just assume it's simply a translation, and that's no. and that's it. If but you, it is exactly as you said. It's the making it work within the within the context of that language or whatever. There's a whole lot more work that goes into it. Absolutely, like and even with books, right? If you read a translated copy of a book, there's a different page count because sometimes you need a little more context given into one language versus another. Yep. No, it's, it's really, really fascinating and something yeah. that... It's a shame we don't have more time to really picture that I even know. further. But <laughs> I'm always happy to come back and talk we'll have, we'll have and a, We'll have a part it. two. Yes. Um, but the next step, Carbine Studios. Yes. Wildstar. Oh. oh, my God, my heart. Okay, my so super let's, heart. Let, oh. So t- let's talk about that. What was, uh, I guess, why is there so much resonance there? I, Carbine was my favorite job in the industry. Carbine awesome. was 100% my favorite job in the industry, I think. Um, actually, aside from Crystal, Crystal has been really good to me. Um, Carbine was where I saw the most uh, femme presenting leads awesome. ever. Uh, and I mean leads, like our PVP lead was a woman. And I had never seen that in the industry. And it was a small studio, but super passionate. And everybody that I met there, like, I am friends with these people to this day. Like, my, my one friend, when she got married, I was in her wedding party. Like, the best girlfriends, the best group of people that I have ever worked with I think was at Carbine like it was That's a amazing. very special place and we we just put a lot of love into Wildstar like it was so important to us to make something cool and it was just such a, a tragedy for for every dev that was on it it was such a tragedy when it when it things, fell through yeah. um, and I guess that I guess the nature of yeah things falling through there kind of I guess it's a different sort of Decision, a decision-making process for people at stage because you've, yeah. you've had opportunities and, and networks have got you to this point, but when something falls apart like Wildstar did, it's far more sudden and you've got to scramble sometimes a little bit more. Oh, so, yeah. so how do we go from there to Aniplex? Oh, my goodness. I, we go there with a, a whole year off trying to find work and a, a soul journey where I try to get out of the industry, actually, because yeah, I was right. like, maybe, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I shouldn't be here, but 
Uh, and it, I, of course, it can be pretty deflating, can, those sort of scenarios. Oh, and deflating's yeah. probably underselling it quite oh, a lot, too. It's, I remember uh, a friend of mine recently said that a layoff is like a death, and you have to mourn it, and that is true. It is very much a, a mourning uh, process. And I'd had a lot of layoffs at that point. But uh, Anaplex came through because somebody I met at Snail Games, Albert Cow, yep. he's like, hey, you're a great editor. I need you to be my local manager editor. <laughs> and, so and you're back in. I'm back in. I was like, yep, let's do it. And, and it was such a fascinating other side because, of course, they do anime, yep. right? So I got to see, I was working on Fate Grand Order. That was the, the mobile game. But I still got to see the, the actual anime side. And, again, that's where I grew heavy. Like, I always had respect for dubs, but, like, this yeah, is that, where it really exploded. This is where I can really explore it and see. No, that, that's fantastic. And I guess we've, we've touched on you know, relationships that connected you to Blizzard. Yeah. And so <laughs> well, now... Well, going, going to Blizzard, well, that was, that was a whole thing into itself. Like, I had always wanted to work at Blizzard. That was my dream. I had applied eight times and right. not gotten in. And on the ninth is when I did... And that was something in, for everyone to learn from there too. Yeah, keep going. It's shoot it's perseverance. Shot. Shoot your shot, perseverance. And so, yeah, I left. Like Anaplex was a full time gig. That publishing editor was a temp gig. But yes, I wanted I did, I did it so that. much. Yeah, I wanted it so much that I was like, you know what? We'll try it. It was supposed to be for a year. Unfortunately, the eight hundred uh, layoff happened. So, did not did not get to complete my full year. But I did get to do a bunch of books that. Are, are actually pretty meaningful to me, so I'm really I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the publishing, the, the temp work there, there's the copywriting, but mm-hmm. then of course, the opportunity did come, I guess, formally to establish yourself at the studio, and you got to do some senior editing on Diablo Four. Yep. Worked with World of Warcraft. Yep. Just little known, little known games. <laughs> I don't know if anyone out there's heard of them before, but um, what's that like to work on such established IP? With I mean, I guess we, you know we've touched on some other franchises mm-hmm. already up to this point. That, would arguably fit the bill just the same. Uh, it's so much scrutiny on, say, Diablo 4, for example. Oh, my God. It's stressful. <laughs> and World of Warcraft having been the beast that it had been for, at that point, yeah. 15 plus years? Yep. At, yep. At that stage? Get, getting closer to 20. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it, it's stressful. It's hugely stressful because you know how important these IPs are to people and you really want to try and respect you know, their thoughts, wishes, but also you, you kind of also have to push the IP forward yes. in new fun ways, and it's it's a delicate balancing act, right? But I will say it's definitely, like, a, I am grateful to people like the historians uh, that Blizzard has to keep us all in check on our nice. lore and things. Uh, I am grateful to everybody that's that so been there. so sprawling, so yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to keep track of. Everybody that's been there for a really long time that can help guide you and say, hey, this is what the IP has done for a really long time, like, how can we adjust that? It it is definitely stressful because, yeah, the 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 crowd are very passionate, very very passionate, and and they will let you know if they do not like something. Yeah, yeah, I think of a few moments in particular. That, <laughs> yeah, um, but I guess and I, honing on the Diablo one, mm-hmm. your time finished before the game launched. Yeah. So, reflecting upon the game once it launched and actually being, a, I guess, having been a part of the machine that built the game in the first place. But then not quite seeing it out to its its finality and getting to see the game finally launch. I guess how did you reflect upon that whole period? What was what was the reaction as the game finally hit shelves? I am Digital very physical. I am very happy that Diablo 4 made people in the community happy. I yeah, I can I can, re, I can re, I'll leave that there. Um, and so I guess carefully, mm-hmm. how, how did we make that next step to Crystal? 
Oh my goodness. So, uh, yeah, I, I transferred to World of Warcraft. I really loved World of Warcraft. Like, working on Dragonflight was really special. Like, awesome. the, the amount of passion that everybody put into it, uh, the stories that we were allowed to tell, and the narratives we were allowed to push, I, I love it. I loved working on Dragonflight. And I thought that I'd be a, on WoW forever, but I wanted to be a lead. Like, I wanted to be, like, a lead narrative designer, and it's just because I love mentoring people. I love teaching. I love, like, yep. um, Can shepherding. appreciate that. Yeah. And so I saw that uh, it, they, they posted a, a lead narrative position over at Crystal, and I did not expect to get it. I honestly applied being like, this is cool. I would love it. They're probably not going to want me. Like, why would the, they It's the me? shooting your shot thing again, right? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. like, I'll have a go and... And, and I always try and look at the bright side of things, right? Even if I didn't get it, my silver lining was I have practice to try and get it. But surprise, yeah, no, they offered me a, they offered me a job and I very happily went over and it's been an amazing time. Yeah, and so I guess we're in a tricky window in terms of what we can and can't say about what's going on there mm -hmm. and, I'll, and I'll respect all of that. So what has it been like as you've settled in? It's been 12 months or so now? Yeah, yeah. it's been nearly a year. Um, it's Exciting. Without wading into territories that we can't wade into, what has what has it been like in there? And as you establish yourself and and in that, I guess greater capacity that you've now got, I I have to say I respect Crystal as a company a lot. Out of all the studios I've worked for, again I'd say Carbine is my favorite, but honestly, like Crystal, close second, very very close second. I'd say they maybe hold first place together. Right. Uh, Crystal is the first place that I have ever felt like they truly invested in me as a developer and they truly invest in people like you see how much that company really cares about their employees uh, we are definitely not being forced to RTO which is very Good. important to me and I feel like there is a genuine like respect for the developers and there's also a genuine respect the for the fans and again passionate people who who want to make things and I, I have felt so supported in my job, and I am so happy to be here. And it's just kind of been a delight, especially on the narrative team, which is really well curated. Like, the, the narrative director of Crystal, uh, he very much went out of his way to very thoughtfully curate a team of diverse people. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, one of the first times I've really seen that kind of care and consideration, aside from the World of Warcraft team. Okay. Um, and so I guess... Again, keeping in the safe space, but uh, I guess what are you looking forward to going forward with your time at the studio? Oh my god, I'm looking forward to shipping a game uh, as a lead, and I'm looking forward to seeing all the different ways that the narrative designers that I work with will delight me, because that's kind of a really special thing. So when you have uh, people making the narrative, like, as a lead, doing the actual work is not your job. You're, you're there to make sure that Helping you're guiding. Helping the pieces and of the puzzle come yeah. together. It's you, you give good guidelines. You give good tent poles. You make sure that you're guiding people in the right way. But the people actually writing it are, are your seniors, your mid-levels, yeah. your juniors. And whatever ideas you have in your mind for what this story is going to be, they're going to divide those expectations and give you something so beautiful and unique. And they're going to write so many amazing things and like you got to try and pass through all that yeah, though, which can be a real challenge yeah oh my goodness like i mean my team has already written some things that have just delighted me to the core of my being and i just i look forward to seeing more of that and also like the design team how is this game shaping like yep. what's it going to do i love seeing like again the, the unique surprises that come when you only focus on one aspect. And but then it's got to coalesce with, with other sections yes. of the game oh, as well. Collaboration, that's the other thing. Crystal is very collaborative, and I work in tight collaboration with design, like the, the level design and whatnot. Like, 
to me, that is an important relationship. They've got to speak to each other. No, absolutely. It's, It's huge. And so it's at this point in the show that I want to make sure that I shout out all of the amazing patrons at the show shout out tier on patreon.com slash dev diary podcast. Those people are supporting at the top tier in the show, gets them this shout out, and I'm eternally thankful because you are helping fuel the fire that is Dev Diary now and into the future. And so, with this newest episode, I want to shout out Scott Makes Games and my mum, Julie James. Thank you very much for supporting this show, and let's get back to it. And um, I guess we are starting to run low on time, and so... <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, we'll, we'll start to wind things down. Yeah. Is there anyone who has really inspired you in your time now, whether that's someone that you've worked with or someone you look at from afar that really inspires you in the way you go about, go about your work? I, I try not to have heroes because that puts a lot of expectation on an external person and that is a lot of responsibility that that person may not want. But I would say the thing that is the most inspiring is all the friends and the people that I've kind of met along the way, I know it sounds cheesy, but like no, but I the, the, people, the people that I've worked with, the ones that have really become my friends and kind of touched my soul, they're the ones that inspire me. Like when I think of who do I want to, who do I want the pride of? Who, who, who do I feel they should be proud of me? I want the people that I respect, that I work with, to feel proud to have worked with me yep. and to say that, yeah, we did something cool together. And soon enough, that'll be the case. It'll yeah. be awesome. And obviously, you've been a part of that machine with several others over the journey too. And yeah. But this one, yeah, as a lead, yeah, it's going to be really, really awesome. And actually, really? I, I should I'll throw one thing in there just to lean on the lead thing. You spoke about teaching before as well. Yeah. Um, I guess that is something that in that capacity, it, it is more, far more important. So how have you adapted to that challenge versus everything else before? Uh, coming out of editing, honestly, is is the boon there. So when you teach people about writing, that's just another form of editing. So yep. I can I can guide, I can lead, and I can change every word that you write with keeping while keeping the meaning the same. No, that's fantastic. Uh, what have been some and we've we've touched on a few already, but what have been some of the most valuable lessons or experiences you've had along the way so far? Things that have you know really stuck with you and served potentially as like a guiding light as you continue to make your way through this this crazy development industry oh man i feel like i should just direct you when it's up my my gcap talk talks about all my great life lessons but i'll say that collaboration is key is the biggest one awesome um again is it bad or is it different yeah is, is a huge one like it think about that i think that's the subtitle media. for the episode Dr. oh yeah <laughs> is it bad or is it different and then of course just like taking the opportunity and you never know what opportunity looks like but keep your heart open it's it's there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and you've proven there's been so many amazing opportunities you've been able to be a part of, and yeah. people got to go looking for it, and again, take a chance. You yeah. never know what's going to work out. Some fun ones now as we wrap up. Yeah. If you could be credited for anything, any game, just oh retroactively God. add your name to the crest. I wish I could have been a part of making Game X, whatever that is. What's Game X? Oh, I don't even know if I can answer that, because I feel like... And, you and can pick multiple if you like. <laughs> well, I just feel like... Picking a favourite child sort of thing, picking, really. Picking so. a favourite child is really hard. I would, I would love to have said that I was part of Final Fantasy, any of them, any of the Final Fantasies. But I, I also have this thing where I feel like sometimes, again, with the, with the whole idolising something on the outside, uh, you know, the, the castle in the sky sometimes has the streets paved in blood. So it's like, oh, would I have wanted to be a part of that? I think I'd rather just be a consumer of it. Understood. That makes sense. Conversely, if you could scrub a game from your memory, replay it all over again, get to have all those incredible memories of it oh, from man. scratch, what game would you love to have that experience oh, with? Oh, my God. Oh, Def- Final Fantasy VI. 
Final Fantasy VI. That was it is amazing. That was a moment. I that was a, a big moment where I was like, wait, what? It's wait, what? We won't spoil it. <laughs> no, for people, but there are yeah. I don't know, people still get upset about Final Fantasy VII and that. But I guess, <laughs> whatever. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Share this journey, learn so much about it. Maybe we'll have to do a part two at some point to uh, to really to. dive deep into some of these things. But for now, it's been amazing to have you on board. If people want to learn more about what you're up to, you specifically, but also the team, where should people go? Um, to find out what Crystal Dynamics is doing, always go to their socials. They update them. We have dedicated, awesome teams, and they will tell you what's up with them. Uh, all there. Uh, I cannot say anything further than that nope, for Crystal. That's fine. But for myself, you can always find me on. You can find me on any social. I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram. I am on Blue Sky. I, I'm on all the things, and it's always the same. Masana Sadai, because I am a huge Wheel of Time fan. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far. It's it's been really really fascinating, really rewarding. I'm thankful that you've been able to carve out a time. It's been a very busy period for you over here. Um, no, but you've got you've got some time to go travel now and enjoy a little bit. So savor that, and uh, I'm sure I speak for everyone listening to the show today. I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes of you and your time at Crystal. Thank you. No, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And to everyone listening, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been DeAndra's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.